Welcome to Between the Vines. My name is Kevin Martin. I'm here again with Jennifer Phillips Russo. We've got a few things to cover this week. Things were supposed to start slowing down in the vineyards, but of course, for whatever reason this year, they're not. Uh, overall, mostly has been a great year, but it's enough to keep growers busy. Um, the, this quiet time, or what should have been a quiet time, usually we want to cover a couple of different topics. We're going to tackle those anyway, and then uh, got a few things to mention and you know, keep you updated about what, what is going on around the belt as well. So Jen, um, it's, it's August 12th. Uh, are you seeing any version yet? Oh, that's a very good question. So we are seeing them in some varieties, some of the earlier ripening varieties like Marquette, they're definitely in it. As far as Concord goes, we are estimating this year that it's going to be a week early. It's usually around August 24th. Remember, it is 69 to 70 days post-bloom when you normally call it and start seeing it. So that would put us at about August 17th this year. And I have had growers call in saying they are finding some color in their canopies on their concords. Oh, that's hard to say. But we don't officially call Verision here at Clarel or the Coronel Lake Erie Research and Extension Laboratory in Portland, New York unless or until it is 5% color change on a majority of the clusters in the canopy. So it's not just one or two berries here and we're gonna call it, it has to be 5% on majority or of the clusters. Yeah. And I, I anticipate seeing that in the middle of next week. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think what you see- sorry, yep, you can I'm, find it. I'm already hearing from growers as you know, as I drive by, uh, that top canopy, I see a ton of purple. So so sometimes you'll see clusters that are 100% purple, but you'll still have a bunch of clusters that still don't have any purple or or certainly not 5%. So that's what delays the calling of variation sometimes, even though you see right. the, and you also see purple, you don't see the phenological stage being called. And not only are they seeing purple, and I'm not saying that people's spray programs aren't the way they should be, but I've also had growers send me photos and say, is this Verasian? And I said, that's black rot. <laughs> there's a bullseye. So there's other things out there that's making it look a little different that, but if it's really hard, that's not Verasian. They should be softening during Verasian. So. Yeah, certainly. I think eight or nine days ago, I got a call like that. Um, if you were seeing Verasian eight or nine days ago in Concord or even the start of Verasian, then that was probably not actually but but we are i've started to see a little bit of purple now that is the berries turning but yeah like you said not a lot not a lot not yet but it does bring up a very good point that it is on its way and this this week i have in our crop update plans for plant tissue and soil sampling to happen if you want to kind of see what nutrients how the plant is assimilating them and what's there diagnosing any deficiencies that you think you might have so you can make corrections for next year. 70 days, which is where we're calling Verasian, right around there is a normal time period to 100 days post is when you should be taking those samples. So look in our crop update and on our website for how to do that. All right. So um, also slightly before Verasian this year, usually quite a bit before Verasian, New York State um, processors need to tell growers what their prices are. 
Uh, of course, giant loophole here is that cooperatives don't have to do that because they can't do that. Um, they pay, you know, whatever they get for selling the product. So, so you're not going to figure out what the majority of the price is on the 15th of August, but the cash market's going to be, is going to be out there. Um, it does seem very competitive right now. We'll, we won't know for sure until next week. So probably the podcast next week will touch on that in more detail. But, but just so you're aware that you know you should expect something in the mail if you participate in the cash market. That information doesn't go out to everybody. It goes out to their growers. So if you don't have a contract with somebody, you're obviously not going to get any information from them. Um, so we expect that, and we'll know a little bit more about the Concord market in, a, in about a week, uh, but it does seem competitive. So is that date the 15th? That's hard almost every year? August that's 15th? hard every year. Yeah, that's legislation. So there's there's ag and markets law that requires them to report a price no later than August 15th. Um, and those prices are pretty much good for Pennsylvania. Now, if you get a winery in Pennsylvania, then then those prices are a little bit more opaque. But, you know, for example, if you're a, the, the juice grape processors, and even I don't know of any wineries who would do it, they use that price for their PA growers as well. Um, there might be some exceptions there, but for the most part, that's, that's my understanding of how it works. So it, it tells the PA growers quite a bit, even though it, it's not binding for them. Um, the one thing I would encourage everybody to do if you're thinking about a new market, because new markets are available, you know, it's certainly there are wineries looking for juice if it's Concord if, and they, it's a thing that they do. If they have Concord, they usually need more this year. Um, make sure that those wineries are bonded with New York state. If they're New York state wineries, um, you know, they need to have a license to buy your product. We want to make sure you get paid if they go bankrupt. Um, there are terms that are required for them to follow. So they cannot pay you in January, February, March. You need to be paid before that. Um, that's just what Ag and Market says. So that's, that is how it works. I will say like a lot of things with Ag and Markets, they, they come up with these things that are great for farmers. And I don't think there's any, any reason to debate that it's not great for farmers, but they are never given the resources to actually enforce those rules. So just because I say you have to have a bond and if you're a winery buying products, doesn't mean you can't find mills, wineries, uh, corn processing facilities, anything that you can imagine. There's gonna be examples of people who don't have bonds. So um, enforcement and is one thing that's different than the actual rule but you can find people that are bonded so sell to them um one thing i did want to touch on in a little bit more depth was there was some discussion about switching harvest operations to bulk i drove by one of the manufacturers for the bulk containers that go on trucks the the truck gondolas uh, look like they're about uh, nine or 10 sitting there. So obviously a couple growers are going to go bulk this year. He typically manufactures right up until um, harvest starts. So I would expect that there will be more than 10 sold. Um, same thing with carts. Sounds like uh, I talked to one dealer who sold 10 this year. He's running out of time to order more. So that's a little more set in stone. Obviously at this point, some of these have been around for almost 20 years. So some of those are replacement cards. 
as some of the larger growers have started to wear out their first generation stuff. But um, we are continuing to see expansion in that area. Um, you, you know, all the growers that I have talked to. Yeah. Can you hear me? I'm sorry. All the growers that I talked to who have switched to bulk are just amazingly pleased with it. That's the only to the extent of my knowledge is that I can't wait. I wait. I can't believe I've waited so long. <laughs> right. I mean, I think obviously one of the downsides is you have all of this this capital invested in the traditional way of doing things. You've got you you bought bins, you maintain those bins, um, you have a loader to load those bins. You already own all this stuff, and worse. The capital cost for carts and gondolas is probably going to be more than what it would be if you were to just buy all new bins and buy a new loader. But, but the real but here is we continue to see labor costs rising and we continue to see the management of labor uh, becoming more difficult. So, uh, that's actually one of the reasons labor cost is rising. Uh, if you want to have somebody come work for you, it costs more. If you want to have somebody come work for you reliably so you're not delayed during harvest, it costs even more. And if you want to have something skilled, like someone to operate a loader, uh, the people we see clinging to bins either have to because of where they deliver or they are lucky somehow with their labor, whether it's unpaid a highly skilled person who's part of the family farm that can keep up with loading. Um, those are the reasons why uh, bulk may not work because you have sort of a loophole to the general trends. Uh, those trends okay. tend to catch up to everybody. I mean, you know, that that highly skilled loader operator, if, you know, 25 years old, usually not. So um, those those opportunities tend to disappear over time, especially as more and more of our operations scale up in size. Uh, you know, that highly skilled operator becomes the operator of a second harvester or something like that. Um, but one thing we do need to look at is sort of the downside of what's going on in that market. The gondolas are more expensive. The carts are more expensive. It's mostly actually related to labor prices. And, you know, you go talk to a dealer, they're going to they're gonna talk about stainless steel. The price of stainless steel really isn't up if you look over the last 10 years. The problem is it was down significantly five years ago and four years ago. And the cost of manufacturing this stuff went up. There's a lot of labor involved. It's not, you know, it's not an assembly line production. It's they, these things are almost hand built because it's not a huge market. So there's a lot of labor involved and that labor cost increase was being covered by cheap stainless steel. Cheap stainless steel is kind of gone. You look you know, you look and you see it's up about 25, 30% over the last year. That brings it up back to the price where it was 10 years ago. But the problem is labor prices for manufacturing that stuff are way higher. So you're going to pay an extra $2,500 per cart. You're going to pay an extra, at least depending on what time period you're you're comparing it to and which truck gondola you get, you're going to, you know, you're going to pay an extra two to $3,000 there as well, which is four to $5,000 a truck. So I would like to challenge sort of the assumptions of what you need when you switch. So we keep talking about how this stuff is more efficient. Well, if it's more efficient, you need less of it. Um, we see lots and lots of people running three trailers of boxes uh, in the field, three field trailers. 
nobody, just about nobody, should be running three field gondolas. I know they do. I would just challenge the assumption that it's necessary or cost effective to ever do that. Now, part of my assumption there is your field gondola is much larger than one ton. Uh, field, field gondolas do get as small as two ton. If you haven't adopted these practices yet, just don't buy a two ton field gondola and you'll be fine, uh, especially if this is something you're concerned about. Uh, three ton for me is a bare minimum. Just make sure you have the tire size to avoid compaction. It can be done. It's not that bad. Uh, the models do exist out there. Uh, four ton is sort of a common ceiling in our area. They do run five ton in California and I think maybe in Washington as well. Not really sold around here, but but that three to four ton is is a nice efficient sweet spot. Um, probably three is as big as you're going to get if you have double curtain. So, what does that mean? You know, what does that translate to? Why don't I need three of them? I I think I need three of them. It, I don't want to ever stop my harvester. All right. So here's what it means. Um, we think that, or I think that you have the time while the second one is filling to drive about um to drive about a half a mile to your loading site round trip and that gives you three to four minutes to dump um most of the growers i talk to say a minute and a half is plenty so this is very conservative to say you know you only need to and another way of looking at that is at that pace if you're if, it, if if you're only taking three or four minutes to dump and driving a half a mile at eight miles an hour you're going to fill a load in an hour which is about double the speed a typical harvester or triple the speed a, tr a traditional old harvester actually maintains so it usually takes two to three hours to fill a load if your weak point is your gondolas you're filling those loads in an hour if you only have two carts, that's not really a thing. Um, you know, if you have 15, 16 ton to the acre and you have to drive a long way to get to your loading station, you might need three carts or you might experience 30 second delays between each cart. I'm not going to tell you to spend $17,000 to avoid delays in that extremely narrow condition. <laughs> that's a really narrow condition. There's a lot of things that have to be going, you could say wrong, you could say great, because 17 tons to the acre is great, but whatever you want to call it. Um, there's a lot of things that have to hit in the right direction for that to work. Um, and I'm just going to keep going with other sort of bold assertions. And I'm not really doing this to be inflammatory. I really think this could work for some of our growers. I, I know people aren't going to believe this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, so. Some of our growers uh -oh. could get by with one field gondola. They only need one. Who are those growers? Um, I think large growers and medium-sized growers in during a disaster only need one in the field. They don't need to run the second one. Um, I think it takes far too long to fill a cart. The growers with new harvesters will be able to keep up with one field gondola um and use the the bin on the harvester to more than keep up while that field gondola empties uh, we see growers reporting that over and over again 
you know, if you have flexibility in your labor force, so you can, you know, lay them off or work them less hours during a disaster, it's going to make them happy for the most part. Most of them are working long hours during harvest, especially during a disaster. So it's just going to make everybody happy and save you a, a, a significant amount of labor when, when conditions are extreme, you know, extremely bad in this case. Uh, so the other thing is we also have a bunch of older harvesters that that do not harvest very many grapes. Uh, the large majority of harvesters actually harvest less than 100 acres. We have plenty of harvesters that harvest less than 500 tons. A lot of those are operated with unpaid family labor. Um, and maybe they hire some paid family labor to run the second cart. So if they're running the traditional method, they have a harvest crew of three or four, and they can go down to one or two. They can run one field cart, they can use their old harvester, and every time they have to unload that field bundle, their, harvester, their harvester is gonna stop and wait in the field and waste time. And what that totals for 500 tons is seven hours of waiting over the course of the entire harvest season. So- But it's unpaid, you said, family. Yeah. So we could pretend that that's even paid labor. It still doesn't matter. It's $250 a year. The, the actual cost of the harvest doesn't go up that much because that harvester, um, and I'm not faulting the operator here, it's an old harvester, that's, that's parked either way. It's either parked in the vineyard with somebody sitting on it waiting or it's parked in the barn. Either way, it's not being used anywhere near 24 hours a day, let alone 12 hours a day. So there is no cost to it sitting in the vineyard idle. Um, so while you're spending an extra $250, if that's paid labor sitting there waiting, you're saving at least a thousand, if not $2,000 by reducing the harvest size of the crew from three or four to one to two. Um, so that is a very unconventional method of harvest. I do know of growers that definitely use it once they have carts. The only people I know who have done that they bought two carts and occasionally they let one sit idle. Uh, so they, they feel that it saves them money, even though they own that cart. Um, I would encourage growers to potentially, you know, go take a ride with these harvesters that are harvesting a little bit more than 500 tons and have already gone bulk and see if you actually could do this. Because if you're harvesting less than 500 tons a day, I have no worries that you're going to get through harvest. You're going to get your grapes off the vine. Uh, you're not because you decided to buy one cart instead of two. You're not going to have to call your neighbor to haul your harvest your grapes for you. The delays are definitely not going to be that significant. It's it's literally just going to be whether or not it's worth your time to spend another seventeen thousand dollars on a gondola. And it's and I would also argue that it's not going to be any time because those seven hours of delay, you're going to save that in the time you save doing other things. Because if you're a small operation, you're probably tying down the truck for your truck driver. Maybe you're even driving the truck and you're saving time at the plant by um, having a faster turn time and not tying down the truck there. That's gonna be, um, if, you're, if you're 25 years old and running when you tie the truck down, that's gonna be a half an hour a load that you save. Um, that's more than the time you spent playing on your phone in the tractor, waiting for the, the field gondola to come back. So you actually wasted less time if that's, the, if that's the arrangement you have. So to me, these are the options you have. You can either, if you, if you continue with the traditional way, you can either spend more on labor to make it almost as efficient, or you can 
spend less on labor and have significant delays. And what we like to see is shifting those expenses to capital expenses because capital expenses are mostly fixed. Yes, these field gondolas will wear out eventually and need repairs, but we know what that cost is. We can plan on that cost as soon as you buy it. We know exactly what your monthly payment is. We know what your interest rate is going to be. It's going to be almost nothing if you take that debt through USDA. And we've talked about that in earlier articles that, you know, the cost of the interest is going to be in the one to 2% range or lower. So we know all that. We can plan on that. What we can't plan on is labor costs. We really don't know those, those plans. So even if I say you break even, this is a huge win because now you know what your costs are instead of it being a wild guess, because we do not know what you're going to pay your loader operator 10 years from now. We have no idea. Um, one more uh, one more challenge, challenging assumption that I want to bring up is the trucks. So a lot of people have four or five trucks. People have been easily accumulating uh, one ton bins over the last 50 years, something like that. Um, so and buying them used off of people who switch to bulk. So lots of people have lots of bins and they do need to right size it. So, so there is a luxury of having, you know, 17 trailers full of bins that you can just go grab any one of them and fill them up and it's no big deal. Uh, we can't do that with stainless. We've got to give up that luxury. The good news is they don't break all the time. So we don't have forklift operators stabbing holes in them. And, you know, by the end of harvest, you have 24 of them that, that have holes in them. So you had to have an extra 24 or you had to fix them during harvest. Oh, we don't have that problem nearly as much. So what that means is you don't need quite as many. But the other thing is, uh, and I said this earlier, if you remember, um, turn times are faster. So a lot of times you'll see a, a harvest truck at National Grape pull off to the side and tie down the bins. And while they're doing that, the bulk truck behind them gets unloaded and leaves. Um, so you get 40 minutes. So you need less trucks because your trucks are getting back faster. The closer you are to the plant, the bigger the deal that is. And about 50% of the acreage is within 15 minutes of the plant. And so most of the turn time, as long as there's not a delay in the plant, can be related to just tying down the truck and you eliminate that step. Huh. So anybody harvesting less than a thousand tons, uh, if they're willing to make a slight sacrifice, that slight sacrifice is you take a lunch break between your two loads a day. Um, you can get by with one truck instead of two. Most of those growers probably have three trucks right now. One's enough. Um, certainly anybody under five, 500 tons a day, then it's really easy. You're only doing one load a day. Um, if you wanna do two loads a day, you just have to take a lunch break. If, you, if you're trying to pick four loads a day and you're doing a thousand tons, you're probably only working one or two days a week. And that is a little inefficient and doesn't really work really well with bulk because then you end up having more trucks than you need. And, and it's a fairly sizable investment. You can do it if you want. I think people who are right on the edge, if you're harvesting a thousand tons a year, they're probably going to end up having two trucks and they're going to see so much savings just by switching to bulk, just because they didn't do it the most optimal way that they could, it didn't matter. But I've talked to a number of growers who run very small harvest operations very efficiently. You know, they're using old harvesters. Their model has been to avoid capital expenses. They think they need two trucks for 500 tons and, and you really, you, you just don't. You're going to be okay with one. 
Um, if you want to do two loads a day, unless you're from say, Niagara County, it's not a problem at all. Mm -hmm. Even from Niagara County, I guess you could technically do it, but but there's some there's some logistical problems there. But for the large majority of the acreage, it's going to work out just fine. You, you know, you're going to fuel up your tractor, you're going to grease the harvester, you're going to eat some lunch, and the load's going to be back, and you're going to have it 35% picked because the gond the field gondolas are full. So. Um, Lots of stuff to think about before yeah. we get going, huh? Well, and we've, I've, in the past, I've talked a lot about what I expect you to save, what I expect you to earn, and how this makes sense. But, but what I really wanted to get into was some of the details here, because these assumptions um, have, there, well, there's two assumptions. The assumptions I make about what's going on currently on a farm, um, those haven't necessarily been challenged, but they do vary from farm to farm. So that can sort of change the equation a little bit. But the assumptions I make about the efficiencies of bulk, um, those do get challenged all the time by skeptical growers, and that's totally fine. I, I welcome those challenges. But um, you know, when we see turn times in the field as fast as we see them, it's important that you know if you don't believe me, I don't care. Like I really, you know, no offense at all. They really are that fast. I want you to go see it for yourself in another operation and see how it does work. Um, and see, you know, see the other improvements you can make because whenever we talk to different growers, um, some growers don't necessarily need to make some improvements and they don't necessarily see all the benefits of bulk. They don't, they don't need them. Um, but other growers who are struggling with a specific issue in their harvest operation, they capitalize on something that they view as a huge savings in time. And, and they use bulk to their advantage to gain that savings in time. So it really depends on where you're at and where your expenses fall during harvest. You know, a good example is a loading area. A loading area is a third of the size when you switch to bulk. So if you're a grower that has, um, you know, one farm and three conveniently located loading areas, you switch to bulk and you say, whatever, I didn't notice any change in my loading area efficiency. Uh, you do a lot of custom harvest and you're, you know, you're scrambling to find loading areas and maybe you're driving down the road to load at somebody else's larger farm, you're going to see where you can put loading areas where you couldn't before. And then all of a sudden you're going faster. <laughs> I didn't, oh my goodness. I hear your baby crying. Did you hear my oh, <laughs> thing? No, I did not hear yours. <laughs> I have somebody oh, here. I of that so it's fine i don't have to run um kate is oh, or good. kim is out this week she's our editor so we're going to leave this unedited and, and real um so you, you guys welcome. out there are going to hear all this and that's fine um i could edit it <laughs> i'm not going to so <laughs> we're just going to give it to you we'll call it live it's not live but it's it's unchanged <laughs> unedited it's real life between the vines there it you is. go um, well, thank you everybody for joining us joining us this week. That's all I have for this week. I uh, hope you guys consider that. I think you know in the next 10 years it's going to make the difference during harvest whether you're able to compete for custom jobs or not. So and, and it's going to make the difference as to what you know whether or not you have to hire somebody else to harvest or you can continue to do it efficiently yourself. Um, it's it's kind of a big deal, I think so I, I'm going to keep bringing it up. But uh, looking forward to seeing some more purple, and we'll be back next week. And hopefully by the time we record next week, uh, we'll actually be able to call. Jen will actually be able to talk to the Clarel 
staff and they'll have called Verasion. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. All right. We'll see All you right, next. everybody. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.